Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. episode of Mindship Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Clint Haycock. I'm doing something I've never, ever done before in the five or so years I've been doing this podcast. I'm actually going to re-release an episode. This is one that I did with my sister, Valerie, in 2017. We had just come back from a major trip over to France and Belgium. We were doing a World War I battlefield tour, something I like to do every year, which of course has been interrupted by COVID. But We sat down and we had a conversation about our upbringing. We talked about growing up in a fundamentalist Christian home. And specifically, as I've come to see it now, it was a cult. We were raised in the Bill Gothard at the time, what was called IBYC Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts. It's now relabeled, rebranded as Institute in Basic Life Principles or IBLP. Now, Bill Gothard himself has been disgraced. He's been removed as the head of that organization several years ago amidst many, many allegations of sexual assault against multiple women dating back decades, really. He's never actually been held to account for any of it, but at least he's no longer head of the organization. However, they still use his materials. They still use all of his stuff. If you go on the IBLP website, you will find Bill Gothard's name, his teaching, his theology, are all over that website. And in fact, they are a very pervasive organization. They're into homeschooling, the ATI movement, the Advanced Training Institute. They produce all sorts of curriculum that gets put out to homeschooling families all over the country. They are involved in prison ministry and school, public school ministries. They run orphanages in places like Ukraine, Romania, Russia. They've got all kinds of fingers and all kinds of pies all over the world, not just in America. So They are, I consider, a dangerous cult. So we're going to talk about the effects of the toxic theology of the Gothard system. My parents, basically, they ran their marriage according to his principles. They tried to raise us kids according to his teachings. And we are going to talk about the effects that it had on us and more specifically how it affected my sister Valerie. So we're going to hear that story just in a minute. This re-released episode, I just wanted to mention there's some really cool stuff coming up in the pipeline We have an episode coming up with Dr. Josie McSkimming from Sydney, Australia. I talked to her just a week or so ago. She's actually a returning guest. I had her on the show several years ago. Kind of like old home week around here, isn't it? But this is a great conversation with Josie. We talked about a little bit about her backstory growing up in fundamentalist Christianity, how she got out, and really getting into this issue of rebuilding and reconstructing your life post-religion. How do you do it? So look for that episode coming up here in a couple of weeks with Dr. Josie McSkimming. And then after that, we've got another guest, another returning guest coming back. I told you it was old home week around here. We've got David Hayward, the naked pastor. I had a just an amazing conversation with David just the other day. This is so good. We talked about deconstruction. We talked about our journey both as ex-evangelical pastors and what it's like to rebuild our life. And I really had a lot of questions for him about his cartoons. And so we got into a really excellent discussion about the content, the themes that we see running through a lot of his stuff. So that is just an excellent conversation with David Hayward, the Naked Pastor, coming up as well. Now, after this episode with Val, I listened to this again on the way to work just this morning, and I've got some reflections to make. So stick around after I'm done, because I've got a few things that I wanted to share with you. All right, let's get on into this re-release episode Me and my sister Valerie Haycock Cunningham, we're going to talk about our backstory growing up in the Bill Gothard cult. What was it like? What sort of effect did it have on us as kids and then later as adults? So let's go on into surviving a fundamentalist upbringing. I hope you enjoy this re-release episode here on Mindshift Podcast. I am excited to be sitting here today with my sister Valerie. Do you want to say hello to everybody? Hey. 
That's up? my sister Valerie. She's been here with her husband Mike for a couple of weeks, and then we sent him home, didn't we? Yep. yep. We sent him packing, and we went on an epic World War One journey. Yes. We went across the Channel to France. We went all the way to Verdun and worked our way up through the Somme region and ended up in Belgium. That was an epic trip. We yes. just got back a couple of days ago. And before Val leaves, or Valerie, I should say, before Valerie leaves, tomorrow, you're heading out tomorrow. Yes, I am. Flying yep. back to Seattle to be with her husband and her dog. Yes. Fergus, she misses, you miss your dog more than your husband no, at this I point. <laughs> it's a toss-up. It's a toss-up. <laughs> they have a new little dog called Fergus. And she misses him. I guess you miss your husband, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah. give Mike a chance. And to... my kids and my grandkids. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, we wanted to talk about this issue because this, po- this podcast is called Mind Shift. used to be called the Preacher's Forum Podcast, but I realized that that title was too restrictive. People thought it was all about preaching. And so I've changed it to Mind Shift, and we did a lot of talking. We've been talking over the years about our upbringing and... It's a pretty messed up story. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, even though we're, yeah. I won't say our ages, <laughs> but we're mature now. Yes. We're mature. Um, finally. Finally, yeah. Well, some would argue that. I don't know. <laughs> but we have a lot of stuff that we came out of as children. And, okay, we will say, how much older are you than me? We won't I'm, name names or ages, but. I'm nine years older. Okay, so Valerie's nine years older than me. And we came out of a very fundamentalist upbringing with some parents that were, they were trying to live according to, you know, some of Bill Gothard's uh, teachings, and they were heavily into that, and we'll get more into that in a minute. But I think this podcast is aimed at people who either came out of evangelicalism, fundamentalism, or who are just wanting to know more about some of the toxic teaching and theology, how it affects people, isn't it? Right, right. And the mind shift part of it is how you come out of that on the other side. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people that are they're still trapped in there, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And they are struggling with mental health issues and so many other problems as a result of being raised in such a toxic environment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah both Valerie and I were raised in the Seattle, Washington area. And it's interesting because we were just talking before we started recording this about the difference in our upbringing, what would you say? Because the, the fact that you're nine years older than me, mm-hmm. you had a, a, a nine-year window where things were different, weren't they? Yes. Before I was born. I was the last child mm-hmm. of five older sisters. Um, what was the difference between those those nine years, would you say? And then when I came along, well, everything was ruined then when, yeah, I, yeah. when I came along. <laughs> no, it wasn't your, anything you did, obviously. Oh, good. But um, when I was... Um, three, my, your father married my mother. And, um, so I was, we had a separate life before they got married. Um, our mother and my older sister and me, and we weren't a part of any church. We didn't go to any church really. Um, once in a while we would visit, uh, the church that my, that our grandparents were at, yeah, my grandfather would preach there once in a while. Yeah, they were friends or Quakers, yeah, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, Quaker background. And we would visit there once in a while, but I don't ever remember being involved in any church on a regular basis until after my mom married your dad, who's my stepfather. And yeah, that's a, a whole other story. It's a very story because <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Valerie and I are technically half-brother, half-sister. We have the same mother but Valerie's father is my father's brother. Older brother, yes. So my mom was married to your dad, mm-hmm. and you had, we had Valerie and Jeanette, our oldest mm-hmm. two sisters, and then he left. They, they got a divorce. Then my mm-hmm. mom married my dad, who yes. was his brother. Yes, younger So brother. already it's mm-hmm. a Jerry Springer show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. You yeah, literally couldn't yeah. make this stuff up. Well, a lot of that, too, was the fact that um, my grandparents, our grandparents, pressured the other two remaining brothers that one of them really needed to marry our mom according to old testament how they did it in the old testament which harkens back to their quaker background and they said one of you needs to step up and marry her and take care of the two children 
and um, she ended up marrying your dad and they were married in 1960 I would have been three and um, we started going to church fairly quickly after they got married we would go to Sunday school and maybe visit here and there. Never really found a church that, that they really liked. And we had um, our next sister born. Um, she's four years younger than I am. And then the next sister was born. And then the house we were living in at the time in Seattle was too small. So we moved to Kent and we started going to a church. I was around five, um, a local church that was just barely getting off the ground starting it had been been going yeah they'd planted it and uh wonderful wonderful pastor um i just really love that guy uh so i was used to a very loving church we all took care of each other Uh, it was a very close-knit church the us kids grew up together uh we i i that's where i accepted christ and um, prayed the prayer, the magic prayer. The sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer. Um, I got baptized. Um, my stepfather baptized me. And um, I, so I started that church when I was about five. So I grew up every year going through Sunday school, junior high, and high school youth group. And we were all really close. And it was, it was, it was such a family feeling. And and then when I was about eleven or twelve, um, our, we had a we had a great family at home, uh, very loving. Um, my parents got along really well. Us kids were all really close. Um, eventually, our younger sister was born, and then you, Clint, were born, um, and we were all very close knit, and very happy family. Then in about. I'm not sure when, 68, 69, somewhere in there, 1968, 69, the church got involved in the Bill Gothard basic youth conflict seminars. And a lot of the the people started going to this, and it completely changed my life. And not for the better. Not for the better. It was horrible. And... We went from a carefree, happy, full of laughter family to of children filled with fear. Our parents went completely overboard on what they called discipline. It was really physical abuse. Yeah, it's more and like child abuse. It was child abuse, abused all of us children. And I didn't know what to think or how to act because here I'd been... A carefree child up till about the age of 11 12 13 and suddenly I'm told that I'm I'm stupid I don't have a mind um, why aren't you doing better um, you're being disrespectful you're ugly um, all these terrible things I'm getting beat practically every day for sm- the smallest infractions um, if if she didn't like if a mom didn't like the look you gave her, she'd just slap you, and or pull your hair, jerk you around by your hair. Um, another thing they do is they would beat us with uh, pieces of kindling of wood, and and would beat us for I don't know, seemed like forever, ten fifteen minutes, and it was it was just a horrible. It was such a change that. I my reaction was I completely rebelled, and I would get into big fights with them. I I didn't care what they thought of me. Um, I stood up for myself and said I don't like how you're treating me. You need to stop treating me. But then that would bring on more beatings. Yeah, because you're the rebellious child. Exactly, and I, and God didn't want a rebellious child. They oh, needed no. to break my will. Um, I wasn't under their authority air quotes um the famous umbrella of authority yes the famous umbrella and supposedly um, my stepdad was supposed to be this this giant umbrella of protection over us and if supposedly through the bill gothard teaching if he had any holes or sin in his life then satan could get to us children 
and or we could take ourselves out of this umbrella from under this umbrella and that's what I got told I was doing that I'd pulled myself out of this umbrella of his protection and therefore God uh, Satan was attacking me and I wasn't under God's authority I wasn't under uh, their authority and I, I was a kid I I didn't know what any of this meant but it was whatever I was doing Apparently it was wrong. Yeah, you were getting spanked <laughs> for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, now what, was, what would you say accounted for that change? Why was such, I mean, yes, we have the Bill Gothard theology, mm-hmm. you know, which is a whole nother subject. I mean, and yeah. now it's come out that Bill Gothard's been accused of sexual abuse and all sorts of mm-hmm. things. And mm-hmm. his teaching is, when you, when you look at it now, it's unbelievably... Yeah you know, bizarre and strange theology that he's come out with. But, you know, this idea of, of spanking the child till you mm-hmm. break their will. Yes, yes. You, and you know you've succeeded when they're when they start crying. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. apparently when you've reached yeah. that point and you can yeah. stop spanking them. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you have a child who's rebellious, then mm-hmm. they need to have their will broken even more. Yes, yes. And I grew up in that environment knowing only that yeah so i received thousands and thousands of spankings sometimes two and three spankings a Mm -hmm. day Mm -hmm. with my sister Um, we were in trouble all the time Mm -hmm. so it clearly wasn't working but you were just being children you were just being kids we were just being naughty it wasn't that you were planning okay i i need to get 15 spankings today what can I do to earn those, to earn 15. those 15 spankings? Because I want to be under God's authority yeah. and under dad and mom's authority. It's it crazy. wasn't anything like that. We were just being kids. And yeah. there was no nurturing. There was no praise. Because they Bill Gothard taught that if you praise your children, you'll make them vain. Of and, course you will. And um, here I'm, you know, uh, going into junior high. I want to look nice for school. And um, at one point, my stepfather said, I'm going to take the mirrors down in the bathroom because you girls are getting too vain. So we don't want that. God doesn't want vanity in your life. And we said, no, 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 you can't do that, please. We, we need, need to. Mirror. We need at least a mirror. And and so we, we actually won one battle and um, he left the mirrors up. But um, I think a lot of it, too, was a big part was... Um, and this just kind of struck me the other day was the fact that our mom is very strong minded and she is a a leader type of personality. Uh, she really, she has one track mind. She wants to be in charge and extremely focused. And so she was able to do that. Her personality did fine with that before the Bill Gothard thing as kind of the leader in the marriage because our our dad was more laid back and he was kind of chill and he just let her do it and and they were playing their roles correctly it seemed to work it worked fine up for the first 10 years of their marriage or so and then once they went to the bill gothard she was told no 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 you need to come under his authority he needs to be the spiritual leader in the marriage but he wasn't that. That wasn't his personality. And so they started clashing. They, she started clashing with us. And she would say, you know, to him, hey, do something about this child. You know, she's not a, respecting my authority. You need to spank her. And he's coming home from work just going, what? <laughs> yeah, I have to spank her. I don't know zone. anything about it. I, I read a, an excerpt in his diary just a few years ago. It said, this is from when I was a teenage um, teenager, it said, uh, had to spank Val again today because she got caught talking to a boy on the phone. Oh, you're a terrible person. I was Val. a teenage girl yeah, in, isn't that what in girls junior do? high and high school, but apparently I got spanked for talking to a boy on the phone. And, um, so when I was about, um, 15, 16, somewhere in there, then I, I wanted to start dating, but they would not let me date anyone except for someone from either our church, a church of Christ, or an affiliate church, another church of Christ. So I'd try to pick out these different guys. I I wasn't really interested in any of them. It was a little bit enough to say, yeah, if this is the only way I can date, so be it. Okay, so I'll go out with so-and-so. 
Take one of those and, nerdy Christian boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Better than nothing, yeah. I guess. And they, they weren't any better than the non-Christian boys because yeah. a lot of them were hands all over. But um, so that was the only time I could date. And they had to, I had to bring the boy home to the house. They interviewed him to find out, is he a Christian? What does his parents do? Where does his dad work? Are your parents Christians? What church do you go to? Have you been baptized? Have you accepted the Lord? I mean, they would do this big interview. The Spanish and of course, Inquisition. that was yeah. And of course, a lot of times that was the end of that boy. He <laughs> just like, I'm out of here. <laughs> this is ridiculous. He wasn't polishing a shotgun. Yeah, yeah. So when I was 16, um, I started dating a uh, boy from school behind their back. And he wasn't a Christian. He was not a Christian. He did Ooh. not come from a Christian home. And I knew that if they caught me, that I would get beat. Big trouble. So um, I dated him uh, behind their backs. I would say, well, I'm going to go and meet a girlfriend. We're going to go to a football game or whatever. But instead, he and I would go to the movies. And we would date behind behind their backs. And this went on for quite some time until... Um, the summer I was 17, I discovered that I might be pregnant. I didn't know because I had no idea. I had never been told the facts of life. I had no, I had no clue. And um, so I, I knew there was something physically wrong with me. At first, I thought I was dying, uh, that I might have cancer. Um, I was petrified. My body's changing. It's doing these weird things. And so I spent that summer, and, and my, my tummy's getting bigger and bigger, and I think, well, okay, I'll cut back on my food, maybe I'll lose some weight. And it never dawned on me until one time uh, our family had gone camping, and I was wearing a swimsuit, and my mother looked at, at me, and she's like, um, what's going on? So they, they took me aside um, as soon as we got home and said, are you pregnant? And that was like an epiphany to me. I was like, oh, maybe I am. That's what's wrong with That's me. That's what's wrong with me. And um, they said, lay across the bed. And they spanked me for getting pregnant at 16 years old. Because that will solve the problem. Yeah. It's and too he's, late then. He's, he spanked me with a piece of kindling wood. And it didn't make me unpregnant. No. But he got the message across apparently that I had disobeyed him. I had ruined their lives. Their first reaction was, how could you do this to us? That's what they said. How could you do this to us? And I said, I didn't even know I could get pregnant. I didn't know anything about that. Of course, (laughs) yeah, the irony of the whole thing, there's so many ironies, isn't there, that if they had given you those the parent parental guidance, maybe maybe you would have avoided getting pregnant, but you yes. didn't even know that having yeah. sex could lead you to getting pregnant. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. a lot of the blame yeah. falls back on them, but of course they're spanking you. Yes. It's all your fault. Yeah. They accept no responsibility. Yeah. It's yeah. all about them. Yeah. Because I can remember I'm about nine or so at, yeah. this, at right. this stage when, yeah. when Valerie got pregnant. And I can remember our dad was an elder at the church that we attended, this Church of Christ. And he got up and gave a big speech about how he had to resign as an elder. And he said, the reason I have to step down is because the Bible says that if you're an elder and you can't shepherd the church and the flock of God, you you can't be an elder if you can't manage your family. And so he, again, made it all about him. And everybody came up to him and were like, oh, brother... You know, we're so sorry. This is you know, your daughter's so rebellious, and you know, we please don't step down. No, no, it's what the Bible says, and I need to do that. And so he got all this sympathy and all this support. My parents did, you know, and so again, they made it all about themselves and how it made them look. You know, your actions embarrassed them and and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, and they they what they were doing with me is, they said you can't live here at home anymore. We will go through the Bill Gothard. Uh, they had like a counseling service, which also did an adoption service. And ironically, the name of that service 
Burden bearers. Was called burden bearers. Now, yes. whose burden were they bearing? Yes, yes. Certainly wasn't yours. It wasn't mine. It was it not mine. It eased their burden yes. because they yes. were able to shove you out of the house. Yes. And yeah. closet you away, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, they sent me away um, probably 75 miles away to a foster home that took in unwed mothers. And... Um, I went and lived there. I moved into that place in November. I was still still 17 at the time. And because I was 17, I legally couldn't make any decisions. So um, our parents did, made all the, the decisions on that I was going to give up the child for adoption. Uh, they just shoved papers in front of my face and said, here, sign this. Uh, the only input I had in the whole thing was... I said, I want to have my child go to a family that couldn't have children, um, and I wanted it to, the child to go to a Christian home, a loving Christian home, which she ended up going to, which is, which is wonderful. So, um, But that was the only input I had. And then the birth father also um, had to sign some documents, and that was it. I didn't know what the documents were. Uh, they put me on uh, welfare. It paid for my medical, uh, for all the prenatal stuff. And then it, I got $100 stipend uh, to live off. But yet the foster home charged me $90 a month for rent. And so I had to pay. That was my for my room and board. So I, I lived off $10 a month. I still I, I enrolled myself in high school there in this other city. And so I was able to go to high school from November to January until I got so pregnant that I, I couldn't literally fit into a desk, a student desk, and I had to drop out in um, right then in the semester. And I was 18, so I could legally drop, take myself out of school. And so I, I continued to um, live in the foster home. I basically had the clothes on my back. Uh, I was not allowed to bring anything other than a small suitcase. Whatever could, I was told I could put into that suitcase, that's what I could take to this foster home, which was really nothing. It was more like an overnight case and toiletries. So um, at one point, my best girlfriend's stepmother took me shopping because she realized that I didn't have any maternity clothes even. And so she took me to charity shops and uh, bought me some clothes. And I was told uh, by our parents that I could not have any contact with any of my siblings. And being the second oldest, I was really close with all of my siblings. I was kind of like the captain of the ship. I was their protector. I at times would try to break up my mother beating one of the, the my younger siblings. I actually jumped on her back one time to stop her from beating one of my sisters. And and that was my role. I was the protector. I was the captain of these siblings. And um, here I'm suddenly just yanked out of that, told not to have any contact. I couldn't call you guys. I couldn't have any kind of contact. And because they, they looked at me like I was a sinful, rebellious person full of poison yeah. and that I might infect my other siblings um, with this satanic boil that was bursting or something. I don't know what they were thinking. but um, So I couldn't have any contact. I got to come home at Christmas time one time, and I think I was just there overnight, and then they took me right back the next day after Christmas back to the foster home. Um, I had no friends in, in the city that I lived in. Because when I was in high school there and I was pregnant, because of the timing, um, mid to late 70s, if you were pregnant and not married back then, you were a pariah in society. And I was treated by the other students like I had a, some kind of communicable disease. And they didn't talk to me. They, I sat alone in the lunchroom. Um, even in the classroom, I'd go and sit in a desk and nobody would sit by me. It would be the last two desks, the last two students that came in that room had to sit by me. And they had no choice. I, they had no choice. And 
I just, you know, I just finished my what schooling I could and not getting to be able to graduate. I was short a couple of credits, but I just had to quit school. I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, you had no choice. Yeah, yeah. So on top of the trauma of being rejected by your parents, being forced to live in another city miles away from your family, your friends, you've got no no support. No, none. Because I remember we visited you one time, I think, Mm -hmm. while you were living in that foster home. And it was only to drop off a few things that yeah, you needed. Right. It wasn't a long visit. We saw your room, and then we were out of there. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm yeah. nine, ten years old, mm-hmm. and I'm missing my sister, wondering how she's doing because we couldn't call you, we couldn't no. talk on the phone. No. Nope. And so we see you for maybe half an hour or less, and we're on the road again, going back mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. You know, so our parents did a good job of keeping the family, the siblings apart. Yeah. Yeah, they were afraid afraid you were going to infect us all. And you and I had a conversation many, many years ago about this, and you shared with me how you were feeling when I suddenly left. That, you know, how to repeat yeah. that. Well, I'm nine years old, and I can remember going back to before you got put in the foster home, our parents would have these big family meetings, you know, and Valerie and I were super close, even though there was nine years apart. I remember you used to teach me how to draw and things like that, yeah, you know, when I yeah. was a kid. I was interested in art and things, and we were really close, and my parents had these big, with all us, all of us sitting in this room, in yeah. the living room, yeah. and they were basically, like, announcing, well, Val's pregnant, and she's done a terrible thing, and mm-hmm. there were these huge fights and screaming, and all of us kids are sitting around the perimeter of the room yeah. watching our parents that we love with our sister that we love screaming at each other and we don't know Mm -hmm. whose side to take we don't know it's a total chaotic environment yeah and then suddenly you're just gone yeah you know and no explanation no real explanation Mm -mm. you know we put val in a foster home she's gonna have her baby and that was it yeah and you were done and it was just like almost as if you died and just Mm -hmm. had been you know cut out of our lives without really any closure at all yeah and we see you one or two times maybe in the in the span of the time that you're pregnant and then, you know, I mean, I'm nine, ten years old. I don't have a car. I can't drive. Yeah, I can't, yeah, you know. Yeah. So it, it's very damaging for sure uh, to see all this and, and have no way to process that. Mm-hmm. As a nine-year-old boy. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, all my sisters are you know, just sitting there with our jaws on the floor watching mm-hmm. all this. The family literally tear itself apart. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I keep coming back to this thing of we're supposedly a Christian family. Yeah. We're a church-going yeah. family. My dad's yeah. an elder. Yes. He's highly respected. He was very mm-hmm. heavily involved in the Bill Gothard. Mm-hmm. He was chairman of the host and hostesses yep. committee. Yeah. He was not just a regular attendee. They mm-hmm. were involved in leadership. They used to go on retreats. He, he led worship in the church. He played mm-hmm. piano. Mm-hmm. He was in a country gospel band. Yes. Him yes. and my, our mom yeah. were in a, yeah. a country gospel quartet. Yeah. They did gigs all around, you know, so... They were real good Christians. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yet yeah. the family Our, life that nobody else saw but us was yeah. horrific. It was. It was a nightmare because yeah. we would we would get Sunday mornings. It was an absolute terrifying morning because... Um, our mother's freaking out. She's screaming at us, yelling at us, smacking us around. Get ready for church. Get ready for church. Get ready for church. The ultimate we'd irony. All, we'd get in the car. She'd be screaming, yelling at us all the way to church. We'd, we'd get out of the car, and she'd say something like, you guys better behave. We would file in, and our family, all eight of us, six children and our parents, sat in the front row. Yep, we had our Here pew. we are. That was the Haycock pew. Yep. This is where you guys sit, and you better act perfectly. Yep. Put and on the plastic smile. Yes, put on the plastic smile. That. And yeah. everybody's were dressed nice. Our hair is combed. Um, luckily, we had a mirror still. You did have and, a mirror. Yeah. And uh, we were this perfect family, perfect Christian family. But yet, the minute we got back in the car... Uh, the hair pulling started, the slapping started all the way home, scream and yell. And I remember one instance we were getting ready for church and um, my little, our little sister, my little sister, um, was carrying a bowl of jello for a potluck after church. And she was walking towards the car. We're getting ready to go to church. And she, she tripped 
and dropped this bowl of jello onto the concrete sidewalk. And our mother flew into a rage. And how dare you, clumsy, stupid, idiot child? What do you think you're doing? And it was just, she tripped. Just a kid. You know? It happens. Just a little, Accidents she was like happen. eight or nine when that happened. And, you know, well, what are we going to bring to church potluck now? And I was like, oh my goodness, the world didn't just end. You know, but that's, yeah, but at church, oh, we were the perfect family. But at home, our life was an absolute nightmare. We were terrified of our mother. We never knew when she was going to strike out at us, either verbally, uh, emotionally, physically. We had no idea. And, and we just felt like we were constantly on eggshells. As a matter of fact, I can remember up until I was probably 55, 56 years old, I was still afraid of her. And I talked to my other sisters and they were still afraid of her in our 50s. Yeah, grown, married, have families. Yeah, still long afraid since of left her. The house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and there's there's so much more going on in that picture because going back to the time when you're living in the foster home, you're pregnant, you haven't had your baby yet. You know, as I was saying, we're living in this toxic environment. Uh, we'd grown up in it. And about that time I was 9 or 10, my mom started coming to me because we always had kind of a, a special relationship where we could talk. And she started unloading on me all this terrible stuff about our dad, about how he was such a terrible father and a terrible husband and he wasn't a spiritual leader and he wasn't the head of the household. And, you know, I wish he'd just do a Bible study with our family and why doesn't he do more and everything. And that's got to go back to mm -hmm. what you talked about with the Bill Gothard theology, mm -hmm. the man must be the head of the yes, house. Yes. So she kind of she kind of was the head of the house mm -hmm. before they started right, going. Right. Their roles switched, and he mm -hmm. couldn't or wouldn't live up to that perfect ideal. Yes, yes. And so I learned when I was in counseling in college that this is called emotional incest. This mm -hmm. is what they call triangulation or emotional incest, where a parent unloads on a, a child, their child, their frustrations about their partner and it's incredibly damaging incredibly inappropriate mm -hmm. you know yeah. and what it succeeded in doing because me and my dad were really close i was his little buddy because mm -hmm. he'd had all these girls no disrespect mm -hmm. to girls but they <laughs> yeah. were waiting for a boy to come along and i was yeah. named the same name as my dad right. they, they named right. me the same name as him and we were little buddies every time there was he wanted to go to the store you know mm -hmm. oh you want to come with me yeah let's go and we'd play and wrestle around and we were pretty close and I think my mom was jealous of that closeness. Yes. And part of the emotional incest was a way to drive a wedge in between me and my father. Mm -hmm. And it succeeded mm -hmm. because I started to get a lot of, have a lot of contempt for him. And I started looking at him and thinking, you know, you're treating our mother horribly. Mm -hmm. You're a jerk. You're not even a good husband. You're not a good father. And when I was 13, I came home from summer camp. I'd had a terrible week of summer camp, Christian summer yeah. camp, yeah. where I'd gone and I didn't have any friends. All my mm -hmm. friends went to a different camp earlier in the summer, and I couldn't go because I think we were on vacation at that time. So I went another week, and I didn't know anybody. I was alone the whole week. And I came home. I'd had a terrible week, and uh, it was one of, one of the worst weeks of my life. I walked in the door on the Saturday, having you know driven home with my friends or from the church. The first thing my dad said was, go mow the lawn. Mm. And he'd let it go for a week, and it was like a foot mm. high. And we got into a big argument, and our relationship that day was forever severed. Mm. You know, all my frustrations and pent-up anger about all the stuff that had gone on with you and what my mom had poisoned me against him for the rest of his life. He died, what, four or five years ago? I think so. <laughs> um, I mean, we 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 obviously had a communicating relationship. We could talk and stuff, but we were never close. Mm -hmm. Our relationship was was destroyed, and my mom does play a big part in yeah. bringing that about. Mm -hmm. And so you've got all these things going on, mm -hmm. you know, while you're pregnant. Yeah. Yep. So can we? Yeah. You want to go back to when? Okay, you're in this foster home. Let's pick up the story there. What happened when you had your daughter then? So what happened then, um, I went into labor really early in the hours. I went to the hospital. Uh, they knew that she was going up for adoption. And so I, I had her, but I, I passed out. I completely passed out. And 
I didn't wake up. I heard a cry and I passed out and I didn't wake up for several hours later and I was on a complete different floor. They wouldn't even put me on the same floor as the other women who had had children. I was on a completely different floor and um, completely isolated. And they did not want me going anywhere near the nursery. They told me, you will not go to the nursery. You will not see your child. Uh, you had a girl and uh, she, she, they gave me some other paperwork to sign um, I mean, I'm just barely waking up. I'm still kind of groggy. And they're saying, here, sign this paperwork so that you can be released from the hospital. And so I signed it. I don't even know what it was. Um, my then boyfriend, her birth father, came to the hospital. He had to sign the documents too. So I'm assuming they were giving up our right to being parents. And you're releasing your releasing, parental Yeah, yeah right, right. So... Um, I signed the documents and got out of the hospital the next day. Um, my boyfriend at the time took me back to the foster home because I had belongings there that I wanted to get. So I gathered all those up, told those people goodbye because they had treated me really bad. They were supposedly Christian home, oh, of course but they, they were. treated me like I was an indentured servant. I, I I did all the cleaning, even though I was heavily pregnant. I cleaned the house. They, they had a two-story house. I cleaned upstairs and downstairs. I babysat their children. Uh, they had two toddlers. I babysat their children for them. I helped cook. I helped clean. So uh, it was a pretty sweet it, it gig was, for them. It was, completely. Plus, I had to pay rent. Oh, of course. $90 a month. Well, the burden bearers. Yes. I don't bore know their burdens, Yeah, too. I bore their... I had nothing. They I was destitute. They didn't clean. Yeah, I was and completely you, you destitute. And paying for the privilege of... Of doing it, yeah. Living in this yeah. terrible foster home. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so my, my then boyfriend... My boyfriend took me to his house and... I called our parents and I said, I'm home. Um, I've, you know, given up the baby. Um, can I come home? And they said, absolutely not. You are not welcome in our home and ever again. 18. 18 years old. Right. Um, I had turned 18 in November and that was in March. And I had nothing. I had a um, that little suitcase. I had some belongings in there. Um I said, I don't know what to do. And I didn't want to stay with them, with my boyfriend's family, because um, at the time his mother had gotten had cancer. And she was really sick. So I called uh, my best friend's mom, and I'm in just tears. I'm just bawling, and I where say, am I, gonna go? I don't know where to go. I have nothing. I have no money. My parents will not let me come back home. Uh, I can't see any of my siblings still. Um, I couldn't even see my pastor. They wouldn't even let me do counseling with the pastor that ha I had been raised with. And uh, they didn't want anybody in the church, you know, knowing where I was. Um, I had no contact with anybody. And so I, when I talked to my best girlfriend's mom, she said, you get over here right now. You can move in with us. And they lived in this little tiny house. There was, you know, what, four or five of them at the time living in this little house, this little three-bedroom house. And she's like, you get over here right now, Val, and you can live with us. And so she ended up uh, taking me in. She was, she was really the mother that I really needed. And she was a wonderful woman. I, I loved her immensely, and she loved me immensely. But she took me in. She got me a job right away. Um, help me go and get get on my feet finally, and um, I was able to eventually once I got you know on my feet again, um, I could go to her. But I was suffering from post traumatic stress disorder, but I didn't know it. Depression, postpartum, as well. um, yeah, and I can remember plus just all the trauma of having oh, yeah. lived through the last yes, year. Yes. Oh, it was horrible, absolutely horrible. It's indescribable, really. And I had I was not getting any kind of counseling at all. And remember, one shortly after I moved in with um, my best friend's family, um, I can remember um, going underneath a bush out in the yard. And just screaming and screaming and screaming, I want my baby back. I want my baby back. 
And I had no idea later, years and years later, I found out that I had legally uh, in the state that we lived in up to a year to get her back. Right, so you could have but actually reclaimed her. I could have her. actually taken her back, but of course they didn't I had tell you no that. idea. No, I had no idea. Sign these papers yeah, here, and whisk the baby this. away, yep, and then you didn't gone. even get to see yep, her. Yep. And I also found out during the time that I was destitute that her adoptive parents, wonderful people, but they paid huge sum of money. I can't remember the figures, but it was it was over ten thousand dollars. Was this it to our friends, like, the burden bearers? Through the burden bearers. Oh, there they, they are again. They got paid by the adoptive parents. It was somewhere between the figure. I want to say between ten and twenty five thousand dollars to be able to adopt my child. And just crazy Where amounts I'm of money. Destitute, poor. I have. I'm barely feeding myself bread and water. Literally, I ate bread and water. And but yet this burden bearers, this Christian in air quotes. group was getting all this money for me. Yeah, what did they do to deserve twenty five thousand dollars? Shuffled or whatever some it was. paperwork around, got yeah. signatures. That's it. They never counseled me. They didn't ever bear my burden. I was going to say <laughs> you had a lot of burdens that didn't get borne by anybody yes. except yourself. You yeah. had to myself. That was it. I only had myself. I just cannot get over the fact that you have all these sort of layers. Parents that are Christians is another layer of of all this story. You know, we're both parents. We have kids. I've got two daughters. You've got a son and a daughter. You know, I can't imagine just as a on a human level, mm -hmm. as a parent, mm -hmm. doing that to my own child. Yeah. yeah. Kicking them out and and leaving them with nothing and no support. Mm -hmm. So how could you do that just as purely a parent? Yeah. And then somehow justify all this mm -hmm. with what the Bible says. Yeah. Yeah. About loving other people mm -hmm. and taking care of the the needy and the help the helpless, yeah. the widows, the orphans. Yes. What about those verses in the Bible yeah, yeah. that were conveniently overlooked by yeah. our parents and the, quote, burden bearers? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I just don't understand any yeah. of that, you know. so Yeah, I was really, for for this Christian group, burden bearers, I was treated as a commodity. It was, number, I what, was just a number. I was just. Um, well, you were profit. I was profit for them. I mean, here's, a, here's a single profit. gal who's, yes. who's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And they're taking Young. advantage of you. Yes. And they made a lot of money. Yes, they did. By, yes. you know, hooking your baby up with a family. Yeah, yeah. You know, yep. it's just crazy to and think how about many how other, this happens. how many others oh, were there? Thousands. There must I'm have sure, been. yeah. Very lucrative business. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was just a commodity. And um, I know that um, her adoptive parents had tried to adopt other children uh, prior to her. And... For some reason, it fell through, but um, they adopted her. You know, years later, I was reunited with my daughter, and I find out that she just had a wonderful life. She says she was spoiled rotten, yeah. and and I couldn't have asked for more. You couldn't you know? have provided that I could in the not, state you were in. No, no, I could not have. And it did turn out that it was a good thing for her because... Um, I tried to get away from that boyfriend, and he beat me up several times really badly. I didn't end up in the hospital, but um, I tried to go to my family for help. They said, nope, sorry, you made your bed now. You get to lie in it. Too bad for you. And he would stalk me, and I just kept having to move and hide from him. And the last straw was he on the phone threatened suicide. And I was at the point I said, fine, go ahead. I'm waiting. And then that was the last time I ever heard from him. So, um, but all through those years, I I wasn't receiving any kind of therapy or counseling. Um, I was still trying to please my parents somehow. Anything I could do, you know, something that I'm doing. I'm get. I've got my life together. I'm working. I have a nice apartment. Um, you know, I was I was saving money. I had money in the bank. They still wasn't good enough. It, it nothing I could do was ever good enough, and so then I spent the next forty years trying to please, especially my mother, 
probably because it's, you know, that's my mother. I want to make her happy, but I could never make her happy. I know when I had my, my daughter with my husband, they didn't even go to the hospital. They didn't even go to the hospital when she was born. And a couple of weeks later, I waited and waited, nothing, no calls, nothing. Finally, I called them and I was like, hey, I, dad answered the phone. I said, hey, are you going to come and see your granddaughter? Well, we've been busy and da da da, and we just haven't had time, da da da. And I said, you know, I have a wonderful husband, beautiful house, I have a beautiful daughter. And I said, what is it going to take for you guys to love me and accept me? What do I have to do for you guys? This isn't good enough? You know, I, I don't know what to do. What else can I do? Yeah, yeah. And I think it was a couple of days later they finally came and saw her. She was almost three that. weeks old. <laughs> Having a granddaughter and not being at the hospital. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we yeah. had our first daughter... You know, they, everybody came down because yeah. we were in, living in Portland and Oregon at the time, and they all drove down from Seattle, and it was a big, exciting thing. Mm -hmm. But you'd want to be there. Mm -hmm. I'd want to be there if it yeah. was my daughter. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine that. Now, uh, getting on this subject of mind shift, we talked mm -hmm. about this before. We yeah. said, okay, the name of the podcast is Mind Shift. It's about having these mind shifts and changing the way you think about things. You know, because this is this is going back a long time. These yes. stories we're right, telling, right. but there's another layer to this whole story as well, and that is probably about what was it five, six years ago? Mm -hmm. It came out that our father was allegedly a, a, he was addicted to pornography, mm -hmm. and this was he, my our mother made him confess in air quotes. But then, as the story became a little more, bit more pronounced. We, it comes out that he was basically a pedophile. Yes. And this is all th through those years when mm -hmm. we were in church, when he was an yes. elder, a worship leader. Yes. We don't even know the extent of the things he did. No. But we certainly know that he abused you and mm -hmm. our other sister yes. when you were little girls. Yes. And unfortunately, the, the sad truth is that our mother ended up siding with him yes and turned against all of us well some of us children who yes. were trying to figure out what our father had done yes and he took his secrets with him to the grave yeah even though you confronted him didn't mm -hmm. you and yes. i confronted him yes. before he died yeah. and asked him to tell the truth about what he had done mm -hmm. and he refused yeah and he died a few years ago allegedly as a christian mm -hmm. and i told him i said you call yourself a Christian, then that means you believe that when you die, you're going to be standing before God. Right. And he's going to say to you, you had a chance to clear the slate, to mm -hmm. ask for forgiveness of the people you hurt. You know, I said, do you want to, do you want to be in that position? Mm -hmm. And I said, you've got a chance now before you die to get this all off your chest and mm -hmm. tell everybody what you've done. And he didn't, he wouldn't. No, no. You know, and the most freeing thing for me, the mind shift for me, and I think maybe for you as well, was we had to end up cutting my mother and some of our siblings completely out of our lives. Yes. And that was the most freeing mm -hmm. thing I've ever done. Yeah. My mm -hmm. life has radically changed for yes. the better since I made that decision. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what you. Well, I had, I ended up, when this all came out with him, I ended up going back to therapy. And I've had to do therapy almost always off and on through my entire adult life because of the messed up childhood that we had. And so I was going to therapy and the therapist suggested that I physically take something. And, and what she suggested is take a rock, write on it, your feelings, your emotions in felt pen, and then bury it. Well, I happen to live on a lake. So I thought, aha, so I took one rock that represented my mother, one rock that represented my stepfather. And I just wrote all over my, my emotions, like things like angerness, anger, bitterness, uh, fear, loathing, hatred. And I just wrote all these words. Must have been a pretty big rock. It was. They were both very large rocks. Boulders, really? <laughs> very, yeah. So a ton, one ton boulder. They're not pebbles yeah, we're talking no, about. No, 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 no. Couldn't fit all this yeah, stuff on a pebble. Yeah. So I, I did that and I wrote these words, all these feelings that I, I felt that I was getting from them and that I wanted to get rid of out of my life because I never felt like they loved me or cared about me. 
um, you know, or, or even respected me. I, I was a respected person in my community. I'd raised two beautiful children. Um, I reunited with my adopted daughter. We have a great relationship. I was a successful person and I still could never measure up. So I, I did these rocks and I had my husband film me and I went down to the lake and I threw them in and I threw them as far as I could. And it was just like this huge one ton boulder yeah. off of my heart. And it was so freeing because I, I cut them both completely out of my life. And before I had suffered debilitating depression, I had been on antidepressants off and on through the years. Um, I had so many uh, therapy, so much therapy, counseling. Um, my poor husband, uh, he's so dedicated to me. And, and I couldn't be where I am today without his help as well. And he wasn't raised in a Christian family. <laughs> His yeah. family wasn't even a Christian family. But they're they the ones took that took more care of you than yes, our own family. Yes, they. And they were the ones even that Christians. Took, yeah, they're the ones that took me in. My best friend's mother, uh, her family, and then I ended up marrying my best friend's brother. Thirty-five years later, and wonderful marriage and great life. I I just wouldn't trade it for anything. But all that the feelings of of uh, inferiority and guilt and anxiety um, was gone. That minute I threw those rocks into the lake, cut those people out of my life, I'm done. It's over. And what a freedom. I, I, could, I could almost feel myself grow uh, emotionally and uh, mentally, it was like, wow, I, I got out of prison. I feel like I got out yeah. of prison. Stepping into the Completely. light for the first time. Yeah, yeah. And I'd gone to so many different churches looking for the answer. You know, where's this loving God, this nurturing God? I don't see it. The Christians that are going to my church are horrible people. They're treating me bad, too. Uh, we finally left the church. We said, that's it. We're done. We're getting treated worse by these so-called Christians than we were these any non-Christian friends. Oh, we're yeah. so much better. Yes. And and finally, we'd had it. We threw the towel in and, and quit going to church. And even that was really freeing. And I since have found God when I hike. I, I find God up in the mountains or in the woods. And that's where I communicate with, with my God. And and that's the loving and nurturing God that I found outside the church, outside my Christian family, you know, what a difference. <laughs> yeah, and the truth is we need community, though. That's yes. the sad truth, yes. isn't yes. it, is that it's supposed to be in church, places like church. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it, I guess it is. I'm, not, mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. not just here to bash on the church. You know, but in our in both of our experiences, I think we, we share the, the, the same frustration of we just wanted to serve yes. churches. We wanted to yeah. use our gifts. Yep. And time and time again, there's politics and, and mm -hmm. all those mm -hmm. and people treating us horribly and yeah. all this. And finally, yeah. Lisa and I, my wife and I walked away. And you guys walked away. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a sad thing, but mm -hmm. it had to be done. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, cutting certain members out of our family, mm -hmm. they're just too toxic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, as we wrap it up, I w I'd, I'd be curious, what would you say? What would be your advice to someone who who's in a similar situation? You can imagine, let's say, a young girl, a young woman who's in a situation as yours, mm -hmm. pregnant, not not knowing what she's supposed to do. Um, what what advice could you give for someone in that scenario? What I would say is find like minded people that are going to support you and love you unconditionally not and the nurture burden you, not burden bearers. No. Um, but find you, that is the hardest time of your life. Whether you choose to keep the child, which is going to be a hardship, give the child up for adoption, which is a different kind of hardship, an abortion, which is a different kind of hardship. It's all, it, there's no, there's no easy, answers. there's no easy answer. But I would say find a group. There's a lot of support groups out there. Um, I just recently, within the last year, finally discovered a group for adoptees and birth parents. I just started going to the support group. It's once a month. Life-changing for me. 
because I've always felt isolated. I never knew another birth parent, ever. So I had nobody to share that, the burdens that you carry, the guilt you carry. I mean, obviously today my, my adopted daughter has completely forgiven me and she knows my whole story. Yeah, she but knows I, the story. Get, get the support you need. Find the support groups that are going to support you. Whatever path you choose, uh, there is no right. There is no wrong. Um, but you've got to find it. And I would say don't go to the church because I tried doing therapy. Last year I called a gal that was a therapist at a church. And her answer to me was, well... All the answers are in the Bible, what you need. And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm not finding that. I, I don't see anything about birth parents in the Bible. And well, I can't really th- counsel you. So, and I don't really know of any other Christian counselors that can, can even help you. And I said, fine, thank you for your time. And I hung up. So even today, I still yeah. can't find the support through the church that I need. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? This is something Steve Austin and I talked about on our podcast a few months ago, was that churches are just not equipped in so many cases no. to handle mental health issues nope. and things like that. Counseling, you know, at best, they might be able to refer you to a network at, mm-hmm. at, best, at best, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but the other thing, I, I've found a lot of help and healing. I mentioned this before is the ex-evangelical group on Facebook. Yes. And I know yes. you're toying with joining. Yeah, you should yeah. join the group <laughs> because if it, it's, a, it's a supportive community and you hear those stories and you go, that's me, that's mm-hmm. me. Yeah. We were raised without a television. We were raised not yeah. being allowed to listen to secular music. We were raised in a stifling fundamentalist mm-hmm. environment and so many other people not only were, but they've come out of that. Mm-hmm. And they're finding mm-hmm. this freedom that yeah. we found. Yeah. You know, us out out from underneath the the burdens. We keep using that yeah. word, yeah. but that community helps us bear the burdens. Mm-hmm. I'll steal their phrase yeah. and use it on them. <laughs> well, I think they're defunct now, anyway, so it's oh, okay. <laughs> it's a shame, really, that the burden bearers are gone, and you know, Bill Gothard's sort of in disgrace, but he's still fighting to try to clear his name and everything. Ludicrous. But I was going to say, right at the very end, if people wanted to get a hold of you, Valerie, is there a way that that someone could find you? Um, on social media or uh, just contact you and you can contact me and then I'm I'm happy to talk to anybody uh, yeah. I, I I've got so much experience under my belt that you know yeah, I maybe that's the best people. way to start if someone yeah, had yeah. listened to this podcast and said I need to talk to mm-hmm, Valerie mm-hmm. contact me and I'll put you in touch with her yep. and then you can kind of go from there uh, we've had people contact us before, and I put them in touch with my wife, Lisa, you know, who were going through similar things when she shared her abortion story. So, you know, there are people out there listening that this story will impact and it will touch. So thank you very much, Valerie Haycock Cunningham. Yes. I will say that's your maiden name yeah. for being a part of this podcast and just being willing and vulnerable to share your story. Yeah, thank you. I know it's a powerful story. Yeah. And Still there's emotional. more life ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just wanted to mention a couple things at the back end of the show. I don't know about you, but I was absolutely brought to tears. I said before that I listened to this show this morning on the way to work. I wanted to hear it again before I released it. And I was absolutely brought to tears when I heard Valerie describing how after she'd been forced to give up her baby for adoption by this quote-unquote Christian adoption agency alongside my parents, how she crawled under a bush and was screaming and crying that I want my baby back. And I was literally brought to tears on the road as I was driving to work because I remembered so powerfully living through all those experiences, which I shared a little bit in this show. And, you know, a lot of things have changed for me, too. In my private life, I mentioned in the episode that I talked about my wife, Lisa. Well, we are now divorced. That That's a big change in my life, too. And it's a new chapter kind of opening up for both of us. So again, big changes, all part of the journey though, isn't it? Processing and all the rest of it. And I talked about at the time, I had just changed the name of the podcast to the Mindship Podcast. And that was a big change for me. And I guess this podcast is my journey too. It's charting my own deconstruction as well as reconstruction. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. It's not really something that's, I guess, enjoyable 
but it's it's certainly thought-provoking. It just made me think, my God, I mean, how could Christians do that to their own daughter, all in the name of God and love and Christian charity? It's absolutely shocking, and it's absolutely, it's absolutely cruel, I think, the way they did it and the way the whole thing went down. So if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, feedback, if you want to talk to my sister Valerie, what the best way to do to get a hold of me is to just follow me on Twitter at MindShift2018. You can send me a DM. You can send me a private message there. I'll respond to it. I'm pretty active on Twitter, so I can put you in touch with Valerie. I actually had a lot of people off the back of this episode way back in 2017 contact me, and I did put them in touch with Valerie. So if you have anything you want to discuss with her, let me know, and I'll put you in touch with her. Anyway, I'll see you again in a couple of weeks. We're going to have, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Dr. Josie McSkimming, followed by the naked pastor, David Hayward. So look forward for those two episodes coming out here on MindShift Podcast.